I know, I know, I know. <sighs> yes, I know. It's still not season three. It's still not season three. But I had to do a special edition on Crazy Rich Asians. Y'all, I have an all-star cast. So, y'all ready? Let's do it! Things are going to get worse before they get better. Got down on his knees and gave his life to Christ. Because Americans are dreamers too. You're not in any moral position to tell anybody how corrupt they are. You should be quiet. Why? Why are our black sons and daughters being treated so badly? This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, y'all. How you doing out there in uh, podcast land? I know this is a little strange because technically I'm not doing season three yet, although I have some amazing interviews coming here and some amazing conversations coming up. So you're going to want to stay around for that. But um, I had I was on an actual text, um, kind of like a thread, you know, with multiple people. And we were talking about the movie Crazy Rich Asians. And it was like, wow, man, we should do a podcast on this and talk about it. And I said, well, look, I'll facilitate and I'll let y'all just go. <laughs> um, and that's exactly what we did. And so I was like, you know what? Let's just host it on Profane Faith. And because uh, I know the audience would love it if we had a nice discussion around, you know, the different meanings and the complexities within that film. There is a lot going on and they're much like Black Panther. And um, yeah, it's just a great film. Um, I had a chance to see it uh, and I was able to really just talk with some amazing folks engaged in this um and yeah i'm not going to give it all the spoilers away and i'll let everybody introduce themselves uh you're going to know a lot of them a lot of them already been on the podcast uh folks like kathy uh no no kathy and you know what we're missing kathy kong you know that you know what i'm saying we were missing her but we did have irene cho uh sue ann shaw who was on this uh on on the show as well um angie hong and there's there was a whole there was, there was a few other people as well and it was just a great 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 conversation and so um i wanted to do that i wanted to put that out and i know there are so many issues going on right now trust me um those conversations are coming uh, i still haven't forgot about the black pastors that showed up to the trump white house um it that's some crazy stuff and then of course this uh supreme court nominee uh if you're listening and following that at this time man it's just crazy um and what's going on there so there's a lot to cover there is a lot to cover you hear me but uh so i figured y'all could handle another kind of a last last ditch uh uh season two episode uh special edition on crazy rich asians so uh let me turn that over to the folks that we uh that i had a great conversation with and a couple of things to note we <laughs> we were fumbling around with the audio so there are there were a couple of glitches i have done some editing and try to smooth over some of the pops and glitches we were <laughs> all of us can't afford zoom so we had the free version and so it cuts you off after an hour and so um it, don't worry i mean i edited everything but um there is sort of that at the end you'll see it just kind of goes Nyong! so um hang on it's a great conversation there are a lot of different points of view uh in regards to the film and the different layers the characters uh what it's like to see it from an african-american's perspective what it's like to see it from a woman's perspective what it's like to see it from an asian woman's perspective and what those uh you know signifiers mean and so there's a lot of great material in there i seriously i just sat back and was just like let me just learn <laughs> so uh hopefully you enjoy it uh always holla back follow uh like all that good stuff um and if you haven't subscribed and you're just listening to the first time this is profane faith podcast we're on itunes and um stitcher and google uh so reach out to a brother and uh you know follow like uh subscribe and uh, hit me up we do have you know thing on whitehodgepodcast.com or you can go to whitehodge.com and like i said season three is coming so gird your loins 
Gird them loins, y'all. It's coming. It's coming. I'm coming. And I will be back for season three here. It's coming up in a few weeks. I'm going to be, you know, start doing some promotion. And so, like I said, late September, early October, we'll have some episodes. So without any further ado, here is an all-star cast talking about crazy rich Asians. Check it out. Well, welcome, folks. This is uh, I know I said I wasn't going to do anything between now and and uh, and the fall, but I, I had to get on and talk with some friends of mine about this new movie. Amazing movie. Crazy Rich Asians. So I have uh, my friends, Angie, Joyce, Irene, Mimi and Sue Ann, and they're going to break some stuff down. I am just literally hosting and learning today, y'all. So let's just start. We'll just go down the road. Call everybody, if you want to introduce yourself, where you at, what brings you to this table today, uh, and all that good stuff. Angie, we'll start with you. Hi, my name is Angie Hong. I'm a worship leader, speaker, writer, and most recently, I just started as an MDiv student at Duke Divinity School. Pray for me. Today's my first day. Woo. All right. All right, great. Joyce, me. break it down for us. <laughs> I am Joyce Del Rosario. Uh, for the purposes of this conversation, I, well, and in general, I'm Filipino-American. Um, I guess I'm always Filipino-American, but I thought I'd point it out for this conversation. Um, I'm also a PhD candidate at Fuller Theological Seminary, um, working on a, a doctorate in, or PhD in um, intercultural studies. So theological anthropology is kind of my jam. All right, man. All right. <laughs> anthropology. All right now. All right, Irene. Hello, my name is Irene Cho. Um, for the sake of this conversation, I am Korean American, second gen, um, and I work, I'm the program manager at the Fuller Youth Institute, and I head up the urban youth ministry resources that we provide. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right, cool. All right, Mimi, break us down. Hi, Mimi. Hi. Yes. Um, my name is Mimi G. I live in Houston. I've not decorated with degrees like the rest of y'all, but um, I sing and I write songs and I play instruments and I care a lot about um, social justice and Jesus and nuance. All right. So I'm Sue Ann Shaw. I'm Taiwanese American. I'm a musician, producer, filmmaker, writer, and um, aspiring emerging theologian uh, put it pretentiously and um i'm about to start school in taiwan to do a master's in musicology so wow musicology yeah. that's man all right that's a whole nother podcast right there all right we'll come back we're gonna put, put a staple in that all right all right well cool well i mean i think um Let's well, I'd love to just start off with just y'all's initial reactions and thoughts um, from the movie, even even the leading up to the promotions, uh, trailers and, and, and all that. I don't know who wants to start off or if you want, I can just say, you know, hey, we give us some thoughts here. Oh, I love the like the promotion part. OK, so I I'm an older second gen person. Right. Um, so it, it's been for me a really interesting transition of. um getting into loving my culture, loving my Koreanness. Um, I was very much the banana that they talk about in the movie. Um, and so I always walk into an Asian art form or expression, event, et cetera, with like a huge amount of skepticism. <laughs> um, and so I think for the promotion, I like didn't want to read anything about it. I didn't want to find out. I wasn't on the bandwagon of so excited about it. Um, I was like excited, but also held it with a realistic amount of skepticism. So I think for me, like going in, I was just like, I hope, really, really hope this is gonna be good, but I was like, I am not sure how this is gonna turn out. I think I had the, that same, well, I had skepticism as well, but for different reasons. And so part of it was I was watching who was excited and who wasn't saying anything. And it was my East Asian friends that were excited and none of my Filipino friends were saying anything. Oh, interesting. It, it wasn't about us, so right? Interesting. It, just, it just, there's like zero hype, um, not zero, but very little hype, but there, one or two people might've been excited, but not to the same degree as my East Asian friends. Um, but then also, you know, I, 
you know, I'm following these uh, uh, Filipino American um, psychologists and activists, and um, they, you know, they were warning. They were just kind of like reminding us Filipinos, hey, there's rich Asians are rich because you know there's Filipinos working, you know, in the um, service industries and, and working in their homes and, and helping them keep up that lifestyle. So I came in with a skepticism of, okay, there's a couple Filipinos in the movie, but they don't play Filipinos. My people don't seem to be as excited right now. And then also, you know, our full story is not represented. So I had all of that kind of, um, you know, haterade kind of coming in because I was like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it, but I'm going to keep my eyes open what I'm about to see. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, well, let's, let's keep it moving down. Who else? Um, I was really, uh, I was really excited for this movie. I'm not Asian, I'm black, and there are, there has been like a lot of, I guess, like big black movies and TV things happening and going on. And I have a lot of Asian friends, so it's always kind of been on my mind. Like, okay, so. When are we going to see more Asian representation? Okay, so when are we going to see more Latinx representation? And to see something that was um, very much like a rom-com, but just happened to be like a bunch of Asian people was really cool for me. I was very excited about it. Um, I think I first heard about it because of Aquafina, who's somebody that I have, whose career I've been following for a long time. I was excited to see her and more things, but generally I was just like, oh, this is cool. I'm excited. Nice. Nice, nice, and I and I'm definitely interested, Mimi, to hear more a little bit more about, just particularly, you know, and I'll and I'll share a little bit too, just be, you know, being being black and 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 watching this. I mean, I took my daughter. My daughter was actually the one who was like, Dad, we got to go see this, and you know, we we got to go and check this out. And she loved it, so that'll be. We'll come back to that. Cool. Um, let's see who else. Who else we got? <laughs> yeah. So I mentioned earlier, I'm a filmmaker, and I have a I've been on Profane Faith before mm-hmm. and talked a bit about my documentary, I think, back then. But uh, as somebody who's an Asian-American who's worked in the entertainment industry and has kind of like the back of the machine view of like Hollywood on a certain level, um, I had like, I was like optimistic and like glad that it was happening. But I had like, I feel like I set really realistic expectations for what a movie like this means and what it doesn't mean. And I think that, you know, not having a Asian American studio picture for like 25 years, everybody's just so excited and like starving for some sort of representation and watching. It was interesting that you mentioned like the people who were uh, Joyce that you're mentioning, like who was excited and who wasn't. And you noticed yeah. I could tell with my Asian American friends too, mm-hmm. there's like, there was, it's, there's silence or there was people speaking up against the, like, against the depictions in the film. And it's like, well, it's not supposed, it's not, it's just a rom-com. Like, it's not like a hard hitting drama. It's not supposed to be like a super, like addressing political inequality. And it's, it's gonna be great because it will, if it's successful, it will ultimately open more doors to more kinds of Asian American films getting financed by Hollywood. But we won't get there until we have to kind of jump through this hoop or white Hollywood. So for me, I'm like, I feel like I've had like, you know, I'm excited and I'm optimistic, um, not necessarily just because the movie is what it is, but also what it represents for the industry and for other Asian American creatives. So that's like the baggage I kind of came in with in my like leading up to the film and all the hype and the promotion. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and I'd be curious. I mean, that's that's good. That's a good insight. I, w- I was wondering, I mean, because the whole time I'm, you know, I'm, you know, as somebody who watched Black Panther and, you know, took in, you know, just all the, you know, just, I mean, one of the things that struck me, I'll put it, I'll say this first. It was the non-agency of, of white folk, um, you know, in, in the film, uh, which was, was, which was refreshing, you know, but like Black Panther, you know, it's still, okay, well, 
what what does that look like? It's still very male dominated and whatever. So I'm just curious to know, like, what are what are some other thoughts? You know, as you now as you've seen it, you've processed it, you've thought about the film in general. Um, what are some other you know insights, in particularly um, from all your different you know background, cultural backgrounds, family backgrounds, and just where y'all at now? Um, well, this is Angie. I so I read the books about a year ago. I tore through them because they're like candy. I mean, they're they're huge books, but I just I just ripped through them. Um, and I was really um, I was really looking forward to the movie because um, the story itself is really written well. Kevin Kwan did a great job at depicting life in Singapore for that particular group of people. And the storylines are great. The, the character development was great in those books. And so I was really looking forward to watching the movie. When I, when I heard that, the, that there was being a movie uh, being made about it, I was just really looking forward to see what, uh, what, how they would do the movie. Much like you would read a book and then you see it turning into a movie and you want to see how much the book is, in, is reflected in the movie. But I immediately started planning out how I was going to see this movie during the promotion. Um, mm. And this just gets to the question. So the first time I saw it, I saw it with just two of my Asian sisters. One was Vietnamese American, and then one was another Korean American like me. And we went and we were laughing and crying. Um, and I that was exactly the experience that I wanted. I wanted to go with my Asian sisters, just completely take it in, um, and initial reactions, just, just our little cocoon where we could experience that together as Asian American women. And after that, we went out for drinks and had a long talk about everything. Um, and yeah, for, for me, I just thought, wow, look, we're actually represented in film. It's been 25 years, uh, too long wanting to do it. And then the second time I plotted out to watch it with my son. My sons are very young, but I wanted to take, I took them to see it because, and luckily they fell asleep. So I'm like really thankful for that. But my eight year old, I mean, I was just watching him and his eyes lit up and he, it's not a children's movie at all, but he, he was like sitting on the edge of his seat the whole time. And for me, the reason why I took him was he needed to see that a leading man could be an Asian man. And, you know, he still looks different. He's Korean. He wasn't, um, he looked nothing like Henry Golding, but he needed to see that he could be a leading man. He, that's possible in his life. Uh, so that was the second time. And then the third time um, was for my birthday. <laughs> so that weekend was my birthday, y'all. And that bought like the whole town of Durham, like I always do to everything because I'm a seven. And um, I, my birthday party managed to pack out like 10% of the theater, which is not nice. much, but it is, it's not nothing. Right. And that was nice. when I knew that it was a lot, it was a big diverse group of friends. And I knew that they had all sorts of questions for me, like, what is this movie to you? And tell me your thoughts. And I, I knew I could see that coming. Right. So right. that's kind of how I prepared to go see the movie. You had like a whole, you had a whole mapped out. Also, sidebar, that's exactly how wow. people really watch Black Panther. So, uh, thank yeah. you for sharing I that because I, yeah. I saw it three times in theaters also and the first yes. time mm -hmm. I made sure that I was going with black people in a theater where there was going to be black people and then I was like yeah. cool I've had my experience now I can see it a couple other times and it's going to be like whatever it mm -hmm. is and mm -hmm. I swear I, t I talked about and dissected that movie for two weeks straight yeah. like nonstop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish I could have seen it with some other Asian people because <laughs> I was the only Asian person in the theater when I went and saw it. Erin, <laughs> we should have seen it together. <laughs> I know. We had all these different parts and like nobody else was like laughing. And, um, and I went in and I saw it a second time in a theater that had a lot more Asian people in it and it felt, it did feel different. It felt like we could share in like the moments together. And I think that, like, 
it's hard because you know we have this Asian American umbrella, but the film is just like really Chinese centric. Yeah. And I'm the only Chinese person on this call. Yes. <laughs> and like when they go in between languages, like I, I speak Mandarin. I know some like Taiwanese, which is similar to Hokkien. Like, and so I like know most of the languages that are kind of like thrown around, or at least I'm familiar and com- like with some Cantonese. And yeah. I could identify like when characters were switching, like in mid-conversation between English, Mandarin, Hokkien, and Cantonese, right? Yeah. Um, it's so interesting because like we all talk about like, oh, this film, you know, it's representation. We don't really see ourselves in it. And I see myself in, theoretically, right? Because like I'm Taiwanese, Chinese, and all this, but it's a whole different world. And even though I have the same, even like ethnic and language background, it's like when white people watch Gossip Girl, do they like, myself in that but i enjoy kind of like peering into their world but, Sue Ann, so. i think that's, that's why that, that does make a good point though i think it's why you might have been a bit quicker than i was to be able to embrace it as this is just the beginning of the movies right and so because there's such a scarcity of representation for asian americans I, I did have that knee-jerk reaction to want to put everything in this one basket of like, if this is going to be the only thing that comes out, then like, where where am I? But yeah. I, I was able to go, and then I was able to let it go once I saw the movie. I was like, oh, okay, I can take it for what it is. It's a great rom-com. It's just really fun. But it yeah. took me longer, but I think it's because I was a bit, you know, further away from it than maybe you were, Suan. So I think that's really interesting about identification. I, identifying with the movie and how much you can kind of just release some things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it was fascinating for me too because it was the same process. Being Korean, like I did identify with it. I love the globalizing of the movie. I love, first of all, like being a film nerd geek person, I like the dialogue and the acting quality um, just right out the gate. I was like, okay, that already relaxed my mind because there was no cheesiness. There was no like overacting. There was no trying too hard. And that's, I think the favorite part of my movie was that a, as a film, it just stands amazingly. Like, and I think that that is like going out the gate made me proud. But then as I was watching it, like there's a layer of the mom daughter, I have a single mom, you know, that relationship Mm -hmm. was so deep and just, I love the intricacies of that, you know, being Korean and Asian, you know, the mom son dynamic, I've dated men who have just, you know, like codependent relationships with their moms. And like, so like there was that whole, you know, element of it, right. There are the, the wealth, like my mother comes from a very wealthy background. And so like the whole time I was like, oh my gosh, I want my mom to go see this with me. And I was like, she's older Korean. There's this like weird, interesting Korean, Chinese, Japanese, like feud, you know, and competition. And I just felt like when she, Shogun first came out, she was so mad because she's like, Korean culture is just so much better. Like, I can't, how come Korean culture can't be portrayed in film like this? And I was like, is my mom going to love this movie? Is she going to be critical of the movie? You know, like, it it was just so many layers as you're watching it while the film was just a great standing film by itself. And I think that that's what I was so proud of was that there was so much to unpack outside of just being a really great movie. Um, So that, that, I loved it while watching it. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> uh, others, others, this is good. This is good. I'm just learning. I think like for me too, another thing about the movie was like, I'm Nigerian American. My parents were both born and raised in Nigeria. I'm a Nigerian citizen and an American citizen. And so like, there were a lot of things in the film that I identified with just as an immigrant kid. And there were a lot of things in the movie that I connected with just because of my experiment, uh, experience as an immigrant American. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So even just hearing you talk about like the old Korean 
and like the differences between like the feuds like inter-asian feuds and things like Mm -hmm. that like that is very much something that i even identify with even just within nigeria there's over 350 different ethno-linguistic groups so like tribal wars are very real and not to keep talking about black panther but i feel like that is the thing that connects best with this um, just in terms of like shared experiences and similarities, because I yeah. feel like there there there's so many similarities between the two experiences. Just as like a consumer watching these films, is mm-hmm. like that was a thing too of talking to my parents. Okay, how are my parents gonna feel about Black Panther? Is it gonna impact them the same way? Are they gonna think it's like a cut of nonsense, or they're gonna uh-huh. see? Are they gonna enjoy the movie as a movie, or are they gonna see how important it is? in yeah. the grander scheme of things like what do they think about the, the the like it became like a thing that i could speak to my parents about like the disconnect and the connect between africa and the diaspora yeah, um, and about like continental africans and africans in america and then black americans and the differences between ethnicities and experience and culture yeah. and all of those things so that was really cool it gave me like a reason to talk with them about it that didn't make them suspicious or something. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? and I, I love that. I love that because I, after Black Panther, I did so much reading on like African, like you know, Ken, there was an interview I read where a Kenyan was watched it with an African American, and you know how they watched it from two completely different perspectives because Ooh, you guys the scene. Yeah, the scene where um, in in Black Panther, where they were doing the ritual, you know, ceremony and like all the different tribes that had come together. I mean, the first thing I turned to my husband, I was like, yeah, that's not happening in an Asian movie, right? Because it would just be like, oh, it's just, there's so much of which you're like, oh, well, you didn't represent Korea, right? You didn't represent Taiwan, right? You didn't represent, you know, the Philippines, right? Like, I mean, there's just so much closeness and like I think I was talking to one of my other friends about Black Panther of like from the African American perspective because there is this such a long now you know longer identity here in America that like you as an immigrant child have more connections to you know your 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 mother your parents country and heritage and the cultural dynamics like I wonder for Asian Americans too like how much we have we're still so connected to it like I I still even though I'm fully like born here and I consider myself very American I know so much about my cultural you know history because my mom won't stop talking about it (laughs) and the capital V void right um, and so it's interesting the way, like even in the interviews, I, I did watch a couple of interviews for Crazy Rich Asians leading up and like, or reading the dialogue and people were like Asian Americans and, and just everybody had to call out, like the cast is not Asian American. Like, you know, they there's there was so much, even though everyone spoke fluent English, um, the, the locations, I mean, Ronnie Chang isn't Asian American, right? Like he grew up, I think in Singapore and he, Australia. And so like, there's just so much diversity, like, and people from America, um, Asian Americans were like, kept saying, calling the cast Asian American cast. And I'm like, they're not Asian American. Yeah. And I think that's a really great distinction because it's like, this is a story that takes place pretty much totally in Singapore. Yes. Like we're t- we keep talking about it as a very Asian American film, when in reality, like we have very few Asian American characters or actors. Even I mean, we have also I would also kind of qualify like Asian British. I think yeah. they have a similar diasporic kind of experience as us um, in their own way. But you know, this the the way that the story is written and way the way that it's constructed isn't so that we can get a representation check. Like the story is the story. And I love it, right? Yes. You have to like work, the film is a story and you have to tell a story. Yes. That's like, that's the struggle is like, people want it to be able to, to like fit all these kind of social justice check off marks. And I'm like, at the end of the day, a movie is a movie and it has to tell the story. And this is what the story yes. is. Yes. <laughs> so it can't be everything because right. otherwise like, if you want a perfect politically correct, check off all your little like representation social justice marks like go go like watch a video of a lecture right or do a documentary exactly yeah exactly exactly so i think like so i agree with you suan and then there's like a little bit of caveat to that right so 
just going off of what Joy says, or or somebody said, maybe it was Irene, about there is just scarcity out there for us in terms of representation anywhere. And I want to speak very honestly as Christian leaders in this context. You know, all of us are leaders in in this like ministry theological world as Asian Americans or Asians. And um, and I feel like there has to be like some sort of stewardship with that representation, um, which is why there's like this really unjust sort of pressure that's put on us to represent ourselves really, really well. Um, I think that there is, there's some room to think of this, you know, we've heard a lot of analyses from different people and um, different blogs and news articles out there. But I think from the lens of a theological perspective, from a Christian leaders who happen to be Asian perspective, I think there is a lot of care that we can take and stewardship in um, in the types of like stories that we are excited about, that we promote, the stories that we tell, the stories that are representative of us um you know when i look at the christian world when i look at christian music when i look at preachers when i look at authors right there are very few of us and so i feel like whenever one of us gets the opportunity to preach or teach or lead in any way we celebrate each other because that is that's just huge in of itself um but we also i think there's this other sort of pressure that we put on ourselves to um, to to represent well, right? To, to represent ourselves and like our people well, because people just don't know what to expect from us. People don't know what they, um, just, people just don't know. And I think we're very much like, you know, finding our paths, but in terms of the movie, so when I apply this to the movie, I feel like, yes, it's a movie. Yes, it's about a great storyline and great um, cinematic quality and all of that all of that jazz which there was uh thankfully but there's also sort of like this okay they're showing a certain group of people um and oh gosh i'm reading all these texts that y'all are sending it's crazy um yeah okay 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 um you know that are rich and so a part of me is like okay there's a lot to discuss here there's a lot of nuances here that we should take the time to acknowledge that while this is not everything it's a bunch of something what are the somethings that we can talk about as christians and what are the facts in which we can say this is not everything this is not everyone this is not you know there, there are major things that are lacking that are not talked about. And I think that's how we should see everything as Christians, right? Um, and, but I, I think in terms of this movie, we can, we can help do this more and shape the conversations um, as who we are as Christian leaders. What do y'all think? What are the truths? What are the things that you're seeing in it that do resonate, even though, you know, it's like all these characters and people have total lives? Where is the truth that you're seeing it? What are you? Um, so here's the thing. You don't go from a third world country to a first world country in a generation without stepping on some people. And a lot of those people are other Asians. Right. And so if we only show that slice of how wonderful Singapore is, that it's, you know, the safest country in the world and the third largest and the most tech ready, the third largest financial center and a good place to invest your time and money and all these great things, we forget that there are no poor people in Singapore for that very reason. You know, and and um, you don't get there without stepping on people. So that's something that I noticed right away. And the more times I see it, the more that I see a lot of the colonialism, the effects of colonialism, like a lot of British, that flapper vibe. Um, I see all those things in the movie, the more times that I see it. Um, also, like the East-West um, sort of bicultural nature of like us growing up in the States or living in the States. Um, I had sort of a meltdown after I saw the movie because it, if I were to go by Eastern culture, I would be very selfish for going into grad school while having two little kids at home. I would be very selfish. In the Western culture, I would be celebrated because, yay, Angie's doing her vision. She's doing, you know, she's forging ahead. She's doing her thing. And, um, 
Yeah, pursuing my pa- pursuing one's passion instead of familial piety. And I feel like that, you know, and then I just came off of working at a place that was imploding. And that's also a Christian megachurch. And I was like, well, if people are going to act this way in the church, then what am I doing in school? And so I just had a whole big meltdown and I had to come full circle and like realize, like just bow down to Jesus on the throne. How can we as Christian leaders promote and, and really encourage people to not just like do away with culture because Jesus is cultural neutral, but that we need to lean into all those identities, all those parts of ourselves that are God given so that we can be fully Christian. Right. And I think that's something we can do as Christian leaders. Anyway, that was And you, um, just, you just opened up like 10 cans of worms. <laughs> <laughs> And now she's gonna leave. And now you're gonna leave. I know, like, I'm sorry. I have to go to class. I'm about to I know, to but like she Angie, you called out all of the things, like the the colonialism. Mm. I mean, my husband and I, we broke that down, like the wealth mm. that increases, like the I have this whole thing of um like it just felt so Kardashian on that side mm. of like mm-hmm. the crazy like the moment the water came out on the wedding, I, I mean I just got married, so like the the budget of wedding is like so clear in my mind and when the water came out I was like I didn't I didn't cry yeah like Chrissy Teigen just tweeted out how she like felt so emotional about it and I was like when I saw the water come out I was like are you kidding me that's ludicrous no I had the same exact reaction yeah this shallow no like created like like a rice patty like right a rice patty not just that Kardashian level Right. Um, with actual water. I with know. Real, with real water. Well, I and I like, come. Wait. <laughs> in a church. Well, and then in a church. church. In a church. In a Methodist church. In a Methodist, Methodist church. Methodist. Yes. <laughs> like, and then so like I come because my mother comes from wealth. Like my mom's friends are friends who own LG and Samsung and like all these people. Like we have, I have been able to break down from her psychosis, like the disdain of. Like, Korea has won a lottery ticket by using U.S. military money. Like, let's not lie about how the Korean economy has boomed over the last 40 years. And so, like, That's she... That's Right. But, like, the whole, the whole wealth discrepancy, like, I'm from a middle... Like, we didn't grow up wealthy. My mom didn't marry into wealth. She, like, chose somebody who was, like, a commoner, right? And so, like, I grew up with coupons, and so I have this disdain for the wealth gap that exists of like we're so into wanting to seek out money and the shallowness of that that was seen to be celebrated in this movie I love what you said Angie the whole like we're not going to talk about this family that has become the greatest real estate you know um, developers in Singapore like how many people did this grew over where's the political power that they took advantage of like all the things behind it that goes into the wealth that they have Right. And that goes back to my original hesitancy, right? Of, right. Of at least depictions of Filipinos who, who tend to be overseas workers and tend to work for other, you know, in in other countries for other people. And, you know, I, it just kind of reifies that our story continues to be untold that way. And, you know, maybe there just needs to be another. <laughs> right. <laughs> not so, which Not so crazy rich. Right. <laughs> which Filipinos. I feel like with Black, Mimi, and I don't know if you feel this, like with Black Panther, yes, it was a it was a Marvel superhero movie, shallow element to it. But it, like, I just came from a training where he, the gentleman who was presenting was saying, um, the topic was healing the killmongers, our, our killmongers. Um, and he was talking about high risk, young, you know, Black folk, Black kids. And how like trauma and childhood trauma, adverse effect of trauma, like, I mean, he was just, he broke down the villain of Killmonger and how Mm -hmm. empathetic we should be because the way he's acting, you know, is understandable because of the abandonment that he's experienced, et cetera, all this stuff. And I agree with what I think Sue Ann, you said from the beginning, like, this is just a rom-com and Joyce, you said it as well. Like this isn't here to make a political statement. It's not here to bring about a, a calling out a justice issue, which I feel like black Panther in the midst of its 
awesome, cool technology element, they were able to encroach the subject of, well, where was Wakanda when all of this was happening? Like you abandoned, you know, the African-Americans that were in the States, you abandoned the rest of the world. And they were able to like call that out versus Crazy Rich Asians, which for all of its amazingness is a rom-com. So it didn't go into that element. But they did address some elements, though. We can't, like, overlook that. Right, 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 right. Like, right, the, right. the white people were in the background the whole time. Yeah. Like, part of me was bothered that they were there at all, because I was like, can't we just have our own, like, just our own? Yeah. <laughs> like, why, why are they even, like, I back? loved that they were background people, but, but, I yeah, thought it was hilarious. That was the in thing, which right? movie? In Crazy Rich Asians. Gotcha. They were they were the, the extras, and so yeah, I loved it. <laughs> really, a friend that I was with said, pointed that out. She said, "No, that's the point. They are actually they finally get to be in the background where we've always been the background players ah. in, in so many TV and movie episodes. So you know that that was a, a, a small but very significant you know sort totally of right and. And they do talk about, like, she, the character, you know, Constance Wu's character, Rachel, does come from, she's common, she doesn't come from wealth, she's, you know, like, she represents all these. So I do, they do touch upon that um, and the snobbery that comes with the money. So I don't, I'm not saying that it didn't touch on anything. I just think it, because, like, I think a lot of you said, it is a rom-com, so it wasn't able to break down um, in greater depth, the thing, the issues that we are calling out right now, the can of worms. Well, I would say, I would say <laughs> okay. yes and no. I would say yes and no to that. I think that in 2018, more than ever, it is apparent that no form of no form of art is apolitical. Yeah. So just because Crazy Rich Asians is a rom com, uh, doesn't mean that it doesn't take any political stances. It just means that the greater political stance of the movie is that it just kind of affirms the status quo. Yeah. Um, And I think that was most apparent to me as we're talking about like capitalism and um, classism and those things um, in the wedding, like when the water came, of course, at that point, but also when Astrid is first introduced and the way that like Henry Golding's character kind of like narrates who she is mm. to Rachel, Constance Wu's character. Um, and like, tell we, we get to know who she is as we're seeing her walking through like a bank or a jewel place or some like, I'm yeah. saying, and, and she's t- something like that where there's yeah, like, yeah. Like clear, clearly a lot of money, but there seems to be somebody poor in there, which makes me think it's like probably a bank with a vault or something. Yeah. And, and he makes a point to say she has the biggest heart of all of them. And yeah. she's like the kindest and the most philanthropic and down to earth uh, and, and down to earth and all these <laughs> things. But then she goes and buys a pair of earrings that are what, three million dollars? One point two million dollars. One point two million excuse me. One point two million dollars and goes on a shopping spree and spends probably like another half million at least right. on lots of other things. And then hides them all and go get to bed. Like, and she's so oppressed because she has to hide them from her husband and his that part. security. <laughs> that so, to me was so poor girl. insane. Like, <laughs> what's happened? But it, but it felt, but it, it felt like necessary to humanize her because she yeah. has that much wealth, which I think is like very telling of where we are sociopolitically. It's like, okay, if you're gonna have people with extreme wealth, you have to give them some kind of redeeming qualities, right? Right. 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 Astrid and Which Henry is, Golding's characters are like the good ones. They're the good right. riches. Right, right? right. Which is true. I mean, I've done fundraising and I have met very philanthropic, very wealthy people who donate $20 million to institutions and organizations. It's crazy. It's a crazy yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, if we're going to get into class stuff, I think that I appreciated that you have all of these Chinese people who like here in the US who would just be like, oh, we're all Asian Americans. But there is such a huge difference that Rachel does not belong and that her yeah. class is the thing that makes her the, mo- the most not fit in in addition to her Americanness yeah. while she's in Singapore. Um, and I've been thinking about like, does it perpetuate this idea of like Asian model minority myth or that we're rich or that like, you know, there aren't poor Asians or whatever. And I think that actually showing Chinese characters alongside each other who are like, 
not monolithically rich that mm-hmm. Rachel right. is singled out and ostracized for this. Um, like I think a lot, like I've been doing more research on undo- undocumented Asian working class people yeah, in yep. the United States. And the largest population of undocumented Asian people are Chinese. And right. it's, it's just like a buttload of Chinese people. And you have super rich, like the little emperors that come over from China with like all of the family money. But then you also get mm-hmm. like Chinese people who come over in shipping containers and yeah. work and are undocumented and work in all these Chinese uh, and well, and I, and I feel like we, the poorest people in the world, like next right. year, right? All, but we're all quote Asian American, like right. It's like it, it's it's not enough. Like, like the the term Asian American isn't enough to encompass all of our experiences. Nor is any sort of quote Asian American media able to do that because right. inherently it is it is limited by the way that the term was created and how it functions in our society, which is to give Asian, like people who are of Asian descent, whatever that means to like a plethora of people, a category that isn't just black or white. Yeah, exactly. I love it. And it's so complex. The model minority thing I love. I love that Jenny Yang, she tweeted out, she was like, you know, Crazy Rich Asians knows what it is, knows what it, lane it's in and isn't apologizing for that lane, isn't thinking that it represents all the lanes. Because like what you said, the model minority myth, I feel like we can't win either way. I mean, like people are celebrating Henry Goulding as being the leading man, but then like other Asian American men are like, I don't identify with him because I'm not tall and, you know, like built and charming and right, like, and all of these things. So like, that's not my representation. And so like, there's this whole argument on the other side, but we should have a skinnier, smaller framed, you know, not as handsome, quote unquote, by Western standards type of Asian man being the leading man. That's the kind of Asian man that would be represented. I mean, like there were arguments all over the place, you know, and what you said, right? Like we have said, you know, saying that the, there's this celebration of like we're we're basically showing white society like we can be we're just as good we you know if that, if not better like we're playing the game better we're winning at the game etc all this stuff and yet there's a flip side of what you brought up Sue Ann which is the like this don't make us the model minority just because we are beating you at your own game white people right and so there's this whole I love what you said the complexity of it all like as well as this is a rep- as, as successful as this is a representation, it's just the the complexities of who we are as a Asian American group is too complex. And like even with like, think of how many how white people like have so many different stories. We have stories about queer white people. We got stories about straight white people. We got stories about rich white people and poor white people and white people from the South and white people from the North and white people from California, white people. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could tell as many stories about Asian people as there are all of those yep. people about yep. like Asians from the Northeast. Amen. Asians from the South are different from Asians from the Midwest are different Amen. and the queer ones and the, and the yep. ones and not to mention the variety, the, like a plethora of languages and ethnic and cultural backgrounds. Right. It's just like, do we expect any, like, I think I saw a really funny tweet that was like, I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp and it did not encompass the white experience. Right, right, right. <laughs> I think I saw that too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to get going, but I, I want to throw in a two two cents before yes. I break. Um, one, I think on, on that whole um, Asians aren't monolithic thing, um, I did really appreciate that it was set in Singapore because the globalized view of it, um, to have so many different accents, um, uh-huh. to have Asians but with different accents was like, I, there, it was really subtle, but I, I really appreciated being able to show, yeah, it, it's a, the, the diaspora, the, the different, um, that everyone's coming from a different place, even though you're, you're all centered in, in one country. Um, and so there, there was something about that that I, I just really thoroughly appreciated. Um, the other part that I really appreciated was, um, yeah, the distinction between, um, for, for Constance Ru's character, like, but you're American. 
Right. And I think in the United States, I constantly identify as Asian and I constantly identify as Filipino. But as soon as I meet someone from the Philippines, I feel super American. Yes. And, and I'm humbled, right? Like I'm humbled, like, I don't know why I claim myself Asian because I'm really American. Yes. Uh, and so that even just making that distinction there was like, I it resonated so well with me of, uh, like, I think I'm the same. I look the same. I eat the same foods but I, I'm not the same. And yeah. so I, I really, really appreciated them bringing that, that to light. And- Joyce, have you ever had a conversation with your mother like Rachel had in the store in the beginning of the movie where she's like, your face might look Chinese and you might speak Chinese, but in here you're American? Like, <laughs> I, I don't, well, so that, that comes with our, with our own colonized history, right? So because we're, Territory, we were territory of the United States. Mm-hmm. So the distinction between, you know, being Filipino and being American, it's not as distinct as other Asian cultures, I think, mm-hmm. um, because we, we we thought of ourselves or as, as American, even in the Philippines for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's kind of a lot of complexities in that. Um, yeah. But when I meet Filipinos now um, that, that, that come from the Philippines, now like a, a bit further out from our territorial relationship um yeah they definitely make it clear to me <laughs> that we're different <laughs> i i had that experience like also american <laughs> so not um, my mom but the new generations coming in yeah i definitely get it <laughs> my mom oh, yeah my, my, my mom's and stuff like that all the time i get called american as an insult yeah, so I've never, I've never quite had that conversation with my mom of like, well, well, yes, I have, just in a different way, uh-huh. but I've been, I, yeah, I've been called American as an insult, <laughs> mostly by um, like family members. Not as much my mom, like maybe if my mom was mad at me, and maybe the way that I was talking to her, she'd be like, oh, you're so Americanized, da da da, you're a kata, this and that but not in like a real way of her like diminishing my Nigerianness. Uh-huh. I think that like I I have a lot of Nigerian pride and sometimes uh-huh. that confuses her because she's like I actually grew up there and I like worked hard on like learning proper English and teaching guys proper English and you want to go back to a place where like our tribe is literally being murdered right now. I don't understand. That's so crazy. That's so crazy. Well, and it's so interesting because like I, one of my classmates in the SIS program, in the doctor program, he was like, he's Vietnamese. And we were talking about um, just sharing the gospel there because the Vietnamese are so anti-American now, whereas before it was, you know, somewhat neutral. He's like, they're, they're having to tear down church buildings and Christian symbols because the Vietnamese people are saying, get everything American out. And it's so interesting to see this reaction because Korea is actually going through the same thing. Whereas Christianity was so on the rise in Korea. And now there's this embrace of like, we are not American. Like Christianity is American. And so get it out, Um, get everything American out. Um, and, and the younger generation are really wanting to embrace that. And what's fascinating is I came from a background which I had to try to assimilate because I grew up with very no Asians around me and I would try to be as white as white as can be. Um, and then when I got to LA, I started, you know, serving in youth ministry and all my LA kids were like, you know, KP, Korean pride, Korean pride. And I was like, what is going on? And they watched (laughs) Korean dramas and listened to Korean music. And like, you know, these kids with like very, very strong Western American accents and very little Korean were still like watching and listening to all this stuff and saying like, I'm Korean, I'm Korean. It was was a very interesting dynamic shift. Mm. Which I love. Because yeah. it's this, you know, we're not putting white Western Americanism on its ped- on a pedestal anymore, right? That's not what we're mm-hmm. striving to be. Like in Korea, the number one country with plastic surgery in the world, um, yeah. a lot of, like Yana Kim was so celebrated, um, and her name is not Yuna, unlike uh, like white NBC 
telecaster said yana kim was celebrated because she didn't have plastic surgery she didn't do her eyelid surgery she kept her monolids um and everyone in korea it was just like she's so natural it's so beautiful and you know so a lot of the things are shifting now where women aren't trying to be as white as white can be i want to connect this conversation about what it means to be like Asian American or an immigrant child, an Americanness in contrast with like in this movie Chineseness or Asian, mm-hmm. um, with like the plot of the film and the ending. Yeah. Because well, I it was that that's what's really significant is I identify with Rachel in this way that like in certain ways I am very American, but in my heart, like I know what family means, right? Sacrifice means, and I would do, I would sacrifice my own happiness in a heartbeat for someone that I loved and, right. and like the kind of decision like as I this has been sinking in for me weeks after like as I've been reflecting on that Mahjong scene which yeah. was so beautifully done and, like, so amazing very powerful I like picked up on all of the like nuance of like uh-huh. what was being played in addition to the like the spoken dialogue yeah yeah as I've been reflecting on that scene like I started crying because yeah lot of all of the people in my life who I sacrificed and made decisions for and for myself um not for my own happiness but for theirs and that I never got to tell them that I made yeah sacrifices and that Rachel got her moment to show yeah. right and a lot of times in life you don't you don't get a, a sweeping moment where where you get to show people just how that you fold that you gave them the winning card and yeah and in my life, when I've done that, it's always mostly been in private. And it's, yeah. it doesn't have a glorious moment. It's not celebrated, right? Yeah. And I think about my mom mm. and, and all of the sacrifices that she's made and how she really eschews the idea that anyone should recognize or celebrate them because you don't make those sacrifices so people will know. You make them because you love people. But at the same time, it's like when I'm proud of what it means to be Chinese and what it means to be Asian, a big part of it is that like, communal selflessness that idea of like serving and putting other people's ahead of you and and caring for one another like that that to me is something I'm proud of is like how that I've learned this how to love in a Christ-like way how to lay down my life for my friends and not American Christian culture never taught me never modeled for me and never celebrated well, right. And, and what you're saying, like the, and the unspokenness of it, like the, the Mahjong scene was so, I loved that they didn't have dialogue to break down and explain, and I'm using air quotes, like to break down and explain the significance. It was just so unspoken and like you felt it in your spirit and in your heart. Like I completely identify with what you're saying, Sue Ann. And the fact that like, if we were to, if, if it's broken down in Western American therapy, like she's being, she's like self-mutilating, right? Like it's unheard of and it's ludicrous and illogical for her to sacrifice her own happiness with this. It, it should be a romantic love story, happy ending thing. And so the thing that she does, which in Asian culture is wise and mature. I mean, the maturity word would have been all over the place. Oh, as adults, they would have said, she's such a mature person, right? She's so thoughtful. She's so- Priorities in order. Like that's- Right. I think my parents would think about right. it. Right. And it, it in, in Western terms, she's she's not. They would never label her as any of those things. She would be crazy for not pursuing her own happiness and her romantic ending. But like the fact that she is showing how she's making this mature decision, like I, I just don't have the same connection I do when I'm talking with my American friends, and I'm saying American because I don't want to target out white people, but in all honesty, it's really my white American friends. Like, they don't understand the sacrifices I'm making for my family. They're like, why are you doing that? Like, you should do your own thing. And it's like this weird split, right? It's it's this complete polar opposite ways of understanding the world and and living living that out. So I completely agree with you, Samantha. Well, she has the foresight. That's the thing is Rachel realizes that she won't win if she pursues right. the American way either. And that's right. something mm-hmm. in my life too is like- I love it. If I do it this way, like I'm actually not losing and I'm actually, by folding, it's the only way I can actually win. 
Yeah. And to me, that's almost the gospel too, is like the only way to life is through death. Right. Yeah. I'm like, it's so, a little super serious. I need a church organ. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It is just a rom-com, but I also found depth in it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But Suanne, you could find depth in a puddle. Come on, let's be serious. It is Suanne. <laughs> I have to go soon, but I really wanted to talk about the conversation that was going on on Twitter um, about Aquafina and this kind of tension between black people and Asian people um, and how the like model minority trope has been used like as a tool of anti-blackness and therefore like white supremacy. Um, so I can't remember her name. Celine, do you remember her name? Anyways, Zong. There's... Zong? Just go, just, just spot. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna stop. Okay, so she got on Twitter basically and uh, said that Aquafina's character in Crazy Rich Asians was like anti-black because she was using a lot of like stereotypical like African-American vernacular English and like like neck rolling basically like a lot of mannerisms were like offensive or whatever so that turned into a greater conversation about Aquafina in general and how she's kind of doing performative blackness to get ahead as a rapper and as an actress and then said we know it's a put on because in interviews she doesn't talk the same way or act this same way um and then Akila Hughes who is a YouTuber she responded in defense of Aquafina on Twitter um, and said, no, that's BS. I'm calling BS on that. She just is from New York and she's from Queens and that's how she talks. And if you're going to call out Aquafina, then you also need to call out people like Eddie Huang. Um, and so then that became this much larger conversation on Twitter about whether or not Aquafina is participating in performative blackness and if that's okay and then whether it was like appropriate for Akila to respond and what she said in response to that and specifically the example that was used was this promo clip of Aquafina's character uh, talking to Rachel in the movie um, going like girl what you gonna do is da 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 something like that and so on the surface of it, if you go by just that clip, it does, in my opinion, looks really bad. Um, it does definitely seem like she's very much like overdoing it and it's cringy. But then I saw the movie and I personally thought that that was the only moment that she really did that. Yes, it was definitely like a sassy best friend trope kind of character, but I think that that's just like a regular thing. I think that anybody can serve that purpose, can hold that space. So it wasn't that part, like the character itself to me that was like, oh, you're appropriating blackness. That's not okay. It was more like the language of that, literally that one scene. Um, and then just like going off the larger issue of whether Aquafina does that in general. So uh, you don't know, Aquafina is rapper. She is from Queens um, and she's uh, Chinese, I think. And she's Chinese and Korean and she was raised by her grandmother and she started rapping almost like a joke. And um her really really popular song was called my vag off of her tape yellow ranger and um i i'm obsessed with hip-hop i've been listening to rap music since i was 11 and i studied it when i was in high school like in depth up till 4 a.m in the morning on youtube and all the blogs and everything like that and so I came across Aquafina and Dumbfounded and other Asian rappers who I really liked. Um, and I didn't, I actually didn't like Aquafina's rapping that much, but I liked her personality. I thought she was really weird and funny. I followed her through Ock Talk, which was her talk, her talk show on YouTube. And I just felt like there is a problem with 
Asian people appropriating and performing Blackness, especially in hip-hop spaces, especially in parts of the country where there are a lot of Asian people and a lot of Black people, especially because a lot of American culture is um, like Black culture. Um, but I don't think that Aquafina is the right person to like, to put on the hill. You know what I mean? I felt like there were, I think that they, I felt like using Eddie Huang as an example to say that Aquafina is not problematic was the wrong person. Cause I think that he's more, he's more, he's way more problematic than Aquafina. Um, I think like Timothy De La Ghetto is another person that kind of like raises eyebrows that I just, I, I think it's a good conversation to have. I think it's a necessary conversation to have. I think that it's a conversation that Black people and Asian people need to have together without worrying about the white gaze. I think if it's a conversation we're going to have, we also need to talk about Black people appropriating Asian culture and problematic things like Chun-Li and Wu-Tang Clan and this like over fetishization of like anime that a lot of black men have and like those types of things if we're gonna have the conversation let's have the whole thing but I think that Aquafina is the wrong person to choose I think like she to me she is one of the most thoughtful actually she took a whole break from rapping because she felt unsure about like the landscape of hip hop and the way that people were consuming and performing blackness. So to me, I think she is actually the person to, that should be speaking on behalf of it because she has in the past. And she's like, not that, I don't think she's the sacrificial lamb that you want. Yeah. I, I think too, like, I, I think when Nicki Minaj came out and people were like, white people were calling out, I was like, white people sit down. This is between black people and Asian people. I'm like, you, you <laughs> right, don't belong this in this conversation. Business. We will figure us out. You don't belong here. Right. <laughs> that was like the biggest yeah. thing. I was like, we will figure out the dynamics of like what it means, but like, that's not the same thing as white people appropriating like all of our culture and at like, utilizing it for your commodification and, benefit, and financial benefit. Exactly. Yes. But I mean, this is, Oh gosh. I know there's so much oh, more to cover, but thank you guys uh, for coming on and talking. We will have to maybe do a part two or something here. I don't know, but this was this has been awesome. This has been awesome. Thank all of you guys. <laughs>